Welcome, Traveler, to Dungeons and Dialectics, the synthesis of tabletop role-playing games, philosophy, and theology. So this week, we're talking about alignment, which I know y'all have been waiting for. Every, every YouTube video and every little article on D&D and philosophy, except us, tackles alignment. And we know that you have been... I feel like we should never... We shouldn't have done alignment. This is a bad idea. Wait, what? Matt, we're... Yeah. We can't go back now. We did all the research. We're going to do it. I'm just saying <laughs> that it's kind of like everybody's doing it. You know what I mean? Well, it's like one of those things that like, we have to do. Did you ever have a time when you felt constrained by alignment? When you felt that alignment, this concept of alignment just didn't, didn't grind didn't like help you get get it didn't uh you didn't get it yeah well not me because i'm the best role player i've ever met but i do have a friend okay. this is a long time ago like back in the no, it's not me no it's it's definitely not you um i said friend <laughs> so that should have tipped you off fiend friend <laughs> yeah no we were playing with my friend and he's playing a paladin which, as our listeners may or may not know, traditionally are always lawful good. So they follow mm. the rules and they do nice things for people. Total buzzkills, really lame, not a lot of fun to play with. But he comes up to, to the NPC that we're, we're having some kind of antagonistic relationship with. This guy doesn't want to help us advance the plot. He's being kind of obstructionist. And so he goes up to yeah. him and he says, listen, bucko, I challenge you to a duel. And he punches him in the face. <laughs> I was like, Gabriel, what the hell are you doing? I thought you were a paladin. And he turns back and he looks at me and he says, I'm a paladin that doesn't play by the rules. Oh, baby. And then the dungeon master changed his alignment and he lost all of his paladin class features. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm so glad you just said that. Changed his alignment and then fucked him. So... For me, before we start talking about the history of alignment or whatever, I have apparently, according to those whom uh, you know I know and who know me well, I have never ever done alignment at any point in any character I've role played. I always, I always write in my alignment, yeah. but I end up like every every character I play is basically some version of chaotic evil, um, <laughs> because. <laughs> Because, well, because, like, you know, I'm a funny guy. You know, people like me. I'm a kind of like a comedian. You know what I'm saying, bro? So you have to be evil. <laughs> so I have to be evil. No, like all so. <laughs> comedians. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, perhaps that's true. But no, it's we're more coming, like... We're coming for you, Bo Burnham. Evil. That's right. Dane Cook. Yeah. Evil. Camille Nanjiani. So, so, but wait, but so where was I? Okay, so I never make characters that... Really? Because for me, it's like a fun acting exercise. So I do role play. I create an idea yeah. and I act within the confines of the idea I've made. Yeah. But the incentive for my playing is not about uh, matching up with some moral system. It's about doing what I find to be fun or funny as contextually defined by that character. And that often ends up as chaotic evil because the funny thing to do, albeit fixed in a certain range by the character I am, is usually going to be unethical and like not obeying the structure mm. of the uh, scenario, which would be chaotic. Then, yeah. Right? 
Now, when you say not obeying the structure of the scenario, are you referring to like trying to break with the story that the DM has made, which is sort of like you as a player being chaotic and not as much to do with your character? Or are you saying that your character is trying to rebel against whatever social conventions are part of the world that your dungeon master has created? I think the latter. Um, mm. I try to not... Oh, I just split the infinitive. Forgive me. That was kind of a chaotic move. I yeah. try not to like, act in a way that would undermine what the DM's trying to do. But yeah. insofar as within the scenario, there are certain rules and regulations. I usually end up breaking the rules and regulations yeah. within that scenario. Yeah. Um, not in a way where I'm like, oh, you're trying to do this, DM. I'm going to like literally fuck you not just yeah. figuratively you know what i'm saying uh, i'm gonna literally get in there but more like okay yeah. you have built this city society norm system whatever yeah. with x rule i mean i'm never cognitively like consciously thinking about it in this yeah. way but those rules have certain you know um they structure what's going on in a certain way and yeah. the fun funny things are usually from breaking those norms in certain ways <laughs> Breaking the norms of the of the world. Of the world, yeah. I tried I try to break the norms of the world without undermining what my DM is trying to accomplish. Yeah. Although perhaps I don't succeed at that. <laughs> yeah. Well I think also, you know, you claim that your characters are rebelling against the social conventions of the of the world. I would argue that you, Matt, also tend to rebel against the kind of the expectations of the dungeon master and also the other players as much as possible yeah well um i'm glad you said that joey so what you're saying is everything i just said was a, was a lie and that actually i um am a manipulative monster well i believe you did open the podcast by saying that you were lying all the time on the podcast so i do lie all the time on the podcast everything i say is a lie like right now i don't believe anything you know, I can kind of sympathize with that. But I think that's that's getting yeah. into something a little bit more nitpicky. Why don't you... I heard that you just started a new adventure with a brand new character. Why don't you tell us about him and his alignment? Okay, his name. Make it, like, fit with well, the theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the problem is... Okay, I'm going to put a spoiler warning here right now. Because the only people who listen to this podcast are people whom we know in real life. Yeah asterisk maybe some other people are now listening i hope yeah if you're here and we don't know you in real life um thanks i don't know why you're here but we appreciate you yeah yeah i appreciate you and we won't make fun of you mercilessly as we make fun of our friends yeah 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 yeah. so the warning is i'm gonna reveal like character motivations and what have you okay goodness so juicy so I'm going to give you some juicy bits. So my character's name is Bad... <laughs> His name is Bad Billy Bootstraps. Fantastic. And I had a lot of success recently basing a character on... For a different game, different setting. Basing a character on Adam Sandler from Uncut Gems. Yeah. Okay? And that's like my favorite character I've ever made. So I was thinking, what what media has been like inspiring me recently that I can kind yeah. of draw on a little bit to, to mold a character yeah. out of? Because we all steal from uh, movies and shows and shit. Yeah. So usually I end up making some degenerate weirdo as a character. Much like yourself. And I've been watching, much like my, well, I actually think I might be a degenerate weirdo. I think I, well, you know, I think it might be true. I'll let you decide. But I, w- I watched uh, Tiger King recently. I watched two movies. I watched Tiger King, which is a TV show, but whatever. Yeah. And I watched the, 
terrible 1996 Island of Dr. Moreau starring Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer. I think it's 96. What a f- sometime in the 90s. What a fascinating pair of things to watch like back to back. Yeah, I watched them back to back. And so my character's name is Bad Billy Bootstrap. Yep. He is a Tiger King, like Joe Exotic parody. Yeah. Uh, within the context of the campaign that I was inserting him in, mm-hmm. other characters had destroyed an animal menagerie like many months ago or perhaps even years ago. Is this? So I retro. Is this the casino what? campaign that is no longer it, about uh, casinos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it is, but it's because my character in that is doing some crazy shit somewhere else. Um, so I needed like I, I needed an in to play with the guys, you know. Yep. So I made a new guy. He is a like he has like five levels in ranger and four levels in beastmaster. So he has he has uh two tigers with him. Perfect. As his like animal companions. Yeah. And um, he's got an assistant with him named John, and he's there too. Okay. So wait, what was I saying? Uh, I have no idea. Uh, where was I with this great story? This is very interesting. Do you want to tell us um, about his alignment? Well, that's what I'm fucking getting to, man. Well, I don't know. I is... don't know what you're saying. You're stalling for like 10 minutes. The listeners are going to get bored. I'm getting there. So my thought was initially, okay, he's like chaotic neutral. Yeah. Because that's kind of like what, what Joe Exotic is, except he's, Joe Exotic's probably chaotic evil, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to be chaotic neutral. I was going to say, I've, I've seen um, the documentary and I've seen the like, the think pieces that were written after the documentary. Joe Exotic's kind of like chaotic good. Anyway, um, from my point of view. Okay, so my guy was like the head of this menagerie that was destroyed by the party like years ago, and now I'm trying to get revenge and get my money back, so I encountered Mm -hmm. them, demanded demanded money and what have you. Yeah. But unbeknownst to all of them, I'm also trying to transcend the human race by combining animal and human DNA to make to make a, a new race of animal-human hybrids because I think it'll be better. What the fuck? And that's my I, that's my Dr. Moreau character. So I got this guy following me around giving me injections of tiger blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so like right before we had this big fight, I said to the DM, Dan, I'm like, Dan, you gotta... <laughs> gotta give him you gotta give me an injection tiger blood before the fight starts <laughs> great and, and so, so he did and, and he did and then you won and then we won yeah dude i actually did a good job my guy's pretty good yeah that doesn't but sound like a coincidence is, to me the, <laughs> i don't think so the thing is i from my joe exotic like inspiration he's kind of like in the chaotic realm but yeah. from the island of dr moreau it's this sort of love the jungle baby you know it's like lawful evil So the problem I'm having right now, and I've only played one session with this guy, but the problem I'm having is I have two mutually incompatible inspirations for what I want to do. (laughs) And neither one of them is manifesting because all I did was do some kind of southern accent and threaten people over and over again. So, you know, we played one session. Yeah, my character's there's lawful and chaotic dimensions, which I think can be mediated. But I think the good and evil distinction is like problematic because it puts it's too narrow of a box. What do you mean it's too narrow of a box? Okay, so I just feel like the good and evil duality is too puerile. It's too thin to capture the complexity of actually interesting characters. And although I think it can be useful as a tool for a DM to create certain situations to try to facilitate role play, mm-hmm. I think if we take it too seriously, 
we will kneecap our character development because we'll Got be thinking, it. well, am I evil? Am I good? What would I do right now? You should be, mm. you shouldn't be thinking with that fine grained. You should uh, understand that you should be thinking. Really, what you should be doing is you should be so in- involved in your character that you just do what your character might do. That's a really good point, no. and I think that you know I'm going to kind of forestall this so that we can draw out the 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 episode a little bit more. I'm going to pad the runtime. <laughs> Um, yeah, we don't have the runtime. Don't sure. tell us about your solutions yet, but I, you might be interested to learn, Matt, that good and evil were not originally part of the alignment spectrum in Dungeons and Dragons. What? what? Can you believe that? What? I know, right? So this is actually this is kind of a fascinating part of. Well, it's fascinating to me. I guess if you're listening to a podcast like this, maybe it's fascinating to you too. You gotta be like, I think it's boring as fuck. Into some serious nerd shit to listen to this podcast, or be our friend. <laughs> yeah, what's the difference? In philosophy, as as we might say, they're extensionally equivalent. Boom, whatever that means. So before there was even Dungeons and Dragons, there was this game called Chainmail, which I think we talked about in episode two on the history of D anD. d Chainmail was this game. It was basically a miniature war game. And they had this little appendix, which was for fantasy role playing or for fantasy war gaming. And to play a war game, you need to have like two opposing sides. So in most war games, it was either like the Axis and the Allies or in the Napoleonic Wars, it was Napoleon and everyone else in the Civil War, North versus South, etc. So in the fantasy supplement for Chainmail, the two forces were the forces of law and the forces of chaos. There are neutral entities which can go either to law or chaos or that are just mobs like on the map and you, you have to fight them. So it didn't have this, this spectrum of good and evil. Well, wait, Joey, do you mind if I, do yeah, you mind if I cut it. in actually? Cut okay. in, cut in. So I'm going to cut in because I have a comment here. I think we should differentiate right now between two different sort of dualities, two different moral categories. There's good and evil, okay, and there's good and bad. Mm, Good point. So this is a Nietzschean concept, and I'm going to butcher it because I haven't actually read Nietzsche closely in years. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. No, Nobody cares. No one one who's (laughs) listening to this podcast cares about philosophy. That's probably true. So (laughs) Nietzsche's idea yeah and i think the genealogy of morals and other works is that our contemporary moral categories of good and evil are a sort of creation of the very late roman early medieval like period of the of the subjugation of the israelites under roman rule so like Mm -hmm. you know right around the time of christ yeah early medieval is probably too strong but i mean some Mm -hmm. might want to interpret it that way i don't know anyway the idea was that the romans had this sort of evaluative framework in which there were excellent people and there were these sort of weak people who lacked virtue yeah and the excellent person we might call good and the person who lacked sort of this excellence we might call uh bad yeah the idea of this slave revolt and morality is what nietzsche calls it is that the subjugated people perceive what the romans were calling good initially they perceived as a value arguably he calls this resentment Zontama is the phenomenon where you perceive something as a value, you perceive yourself as unable to attain that value, and so you swap the mm. value and it becomes a disvalue. Got so it. So his thesis is that these subjugated people saw the Roman virtue, quote unquote, as a 
value initially, perhaps, or perhaps, you know, yeah. they were just conquered by them, whatever. And it was swapped into a disvalue. So what was good mm. now becomes evil, this new moral framework. Yeah. And what was bad, weak, cowardly, you know, meek, whatever. Yep. Uh, think of like early Christianity, the meek shall inherit the earth. Yep. That becomes the highest good, the highest virtue is what had previously been bad. So I think arguably this mm-hmm. kind of framework might obtain for fantasy. Conan is, I said, I just said Conan's bad, but really what I meant is Conan's evil, but he's yeah. actually, he's excellent. He's excellent. He's virtuous. Yeah. He's powerful. He's not cowardly. You know, he does all the yeah. things a virtuous person arguably ought to do according to that old definition of virtue, maybe yep. not a modern one, but, but he's what the later framework would call evil then. Yep, Exactly. You're totally, you're totally right that like we have this concept of good and evil, which is a relatively modern invention. And this is why in a lot of ways, it's hard to read and understand more like ancient literature, like Roman and Greek literature, because you'll read the Iliad, for example, and you'll say, wow, this Achilles guy, he's kind of a dick. I don't Mm -hmm. like, he's not a good guy, but the point is that he is excellent. He's virtuous in that sort of, virtue ethics understanding of the world Mm -hmm. this uh this duality this duality really runs deep both after uh this and media other media these role-playing games yeah eventually when good and evil get integrated into the alignment axis so that's when you have you get to pick either lawful or chaotic and good or evil always neutral that I think the sense of what lawful and what chaotic means changes because while lawful, like the forces of law are not necessarily like good and the forces of chaos are not necessarily like evil. The forces of law are the good guys and the forces of chaos are the bad guys. Mm -hmm. It's not that they are morally good or morally evil but that one is sort of like upholding civilization and is sort of seen in a more favorable light, whereas one is kind of more associated with destruction and is seen in a a more unfavorable light. But when you suddenly integrate good and evil, those become sort of the primary acts that becomes the primary axis of determining whether something is positive or negative or good or evil is whether it's good Mm -hmm. or evil and law and chaos sort of transform. Nowadays, Mm -hmm. We think of chaos more having to do with like personal freedom as a particularly important virtue or a particularly it's important like libertarianism. Right. It's like libertarianism and lawful <laughs> being more kind of obsessed with following duty, with following the rules. You could say more deontic to use a word that we talk about a lot on this podcast. Yeah, we talk about it a lot. Are you still there? What happened? I am still there. That was the end of my... Th- I was hoping you would jump in with some... Oh, I thought you were like... It sounded like you were mid-thought, dude. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So... So... Okay. Well, shit. So I was like just, waiting for that. Integrating good like, and evil. Integrating good and evil into the axis just... Tri- it changes the way that we understand law and chaos. Yeah. I, I want to say that as a player, you know, I'm not... Mostly I don't DM. I, mo- I like basically entirely play. You've never DM. Don't say mostly. In fact, I most I mostly don't DM. I, I well, I mean that's not true. One time I one time I was on the schoolyard when I was ten and I was yelling at people to do things. That was kinda like DMing. Yeah, because DMs just yell at people to do things. They definitely don't listen to what their players want to do and then describe the outcome. That's not what happens. Yeah. Anyway. Um so I don't DM at all. So <laughs> 
Thank you. So here's what uh, here's what I was gonna say. It feels like almost you first think, okay, do I want my character to be a good guy or a bad guy? Where bad yeah. ends like evil. And then you think, what kind of flavor do I want on this? I mean, this isn't really how I create characters, but I think a lot of people yeah. perhaps do. Um, do I want him to be like a bad guy who wants to break all the rules mm-hmm. or do I want him to be like a fascist jackboots thug or whatever? Yeah. So it does feel like slowly but surely the principal attributes switched from just being this chaotic or lawful, you know, uh, aspect to being this good guy, bad guy fantasy. Yeah. Which is actually, in my opinion, much less interesting to pl- as a player than, than yeah. the other one. Yeah. What makes that less interesting to you? So, I think that it's better to just omit this question of whether I want to be a good or a bad person, okay? And uh-huh. think, what do what am I, you know, well, A, you're going to get your inspirations, whatever those are. And then you want to think, what is my principal goal mm. as this character? What am I trying to do? And what weird quirks do I have? Or what obstacles are there to my, do, my achieving what I want to achieve? And these kinds of things. Yeah. And that will place you on a lawful or chaotic spectrum. And then you can figure out as you play whether you see yourself as a good person, a bad person, an evil person, an excellent person, whatever. Yeah. So I think that the more axes we add, the more it objectifies, reifies, whatever word you mm-hmm. want to use, yeah. the narrative experience of creating and living out your character on the field. Mm. Um, it's like following a checklist rather than trying to summon forth some sort of creative yeah. episode. I think that, you know, I think you, that's, that's such a good point that when, once we turn the character into the checklist of things that we have to sort of comply with, um it is more of a shallow um like engagement with the character than or more static engagement with the character than something more complex and i think you're right there's nothing wrong with playing sort of a a kind of a a more shallow character or a very static character that is just like the alignment but it can sometimes be a more rewarding like role-playing experience to to play something with a little bit more depth and with a little bit more sort of like nuance than than just kind of sticking to the alignment system well just quickly i don't think there's any one right way to play yeah. a character if you just want to have a like a traditional experience yep. with your friends that's like oh we're gonna do tolkien up in yeah. here you know um then having your character be this sort of thing you've created can facilitate that that's fine yeah you know if you want to and like and Tolkien to about this Tolkien loves his like archetypes um yeah and so like like that style of storytelling works really well for static characters that are like hey this is like the kind of like classic hero who like rises up and yeah. becomes the monarch or whatever or like very archetypal storytelling works really well with characters like this mm-hmm. yeah I don't think there's anything wrong with it it just be it's just my opinion that we should be attentive to the difference, A, between a static yeah. character that's sort of being like a thing on the basis mm-hmm. of all these archetypes and narrative properties or whatever, and a lived-in sort of unfolding yeah. process in which you discover this character as you go. Those are two different, two very different ways of role-playing. Yeah. Both are valid in their own way, but if we have this distinction, then it allows us to think of 
what we're gaining and losing by choosing one or the other. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that one of the things that I really like about 5th edition, and especially about the 5th the edition character sheets, is that alignment is still on there. And I do think that mm -hmm. alignment is... It's a nice thing to have, and it is important mechanically in the game because you have things that you can do, like detecting evil and detecting good. And when you have demons and angels or sladi, sladi, or sladi, um, or um, what are those things called for mechanists? The modrons or the formians? Formorians? Oh formians. Fomorian is a mythological monster, so I don't. Maybe that is what yeah. it is. No, Formians is the one I'm thinking. Little ant people that live in the gears. No, that's not what I was thinking. If you're not deep into the lore of D and D, you're like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Alignment is good and helpful because you have mechanically exist these monsters and exist these forces of evil, of law, of chaos, and having like a mechanical way to like re respond to and like deal with these creatures can be helpful and important and i have found it to be useful for like storytelling and like we can do interesting things with that but what is nice about the fifth edition character sheet is that in addition to alignment they have personality traits ideals yeah. bonds flaws and so just like matt was suggesting earlier you can say hey this is an ideal that i have this is a virtue to which i aspire and that sort of goal can guide your character. And then you can pick flaws that will complicate that journey in some way or that will, you know, if you want to go through sort of a like a classic storytelling trope of the the hero who is like trying to achieve his ideal, but for whatever reason they can't because of their tragic flaw, like the the prompts that the character sheet is asking you about help to develop that storytelling and that nuance and that character beyond simply am i a good guy or am i a bad guy joey i uh found it very interesting that most of the points you made just now were mechanical in nature mm. i think that this issue of alignment and the sort of the history of alignment and the way that it deals with narrative and mechanics and all these things I think it prompts a yeah yeah well okay so we were talking about all of these mechanical features that are baked into fifth edition and other editions that are to do with yeah like detecting evil or paladins losing their class abilities because they become not lawful good right exactly like which was a feature of of earlier editions like I think second and third edition both like if you were a paladin that became that committed a chaotic act. And I believe still in 5th edition, if you violate a tenant of your oath, but each right. oath is, like, different, you lose your paladin abilities because you have not... You're no longer complying with the requirements of your alignment. Well, so here's an example from early uh, the casino campaign when I was playing as Vincenzo. Yeah. As I was playing him, he's, like, strictly speaking evil. Yes. And as I was playing him, I mean, I was, I'm kind of joking around when I play, but I still was feeling like, oh, I actually think this character has an undiscovered, like, ethical good dimension in his narrative flow, let's say. However, I had made this pact with this demon and because I was a warlock and I needed to like commit these murders to talk to it basically. Now, that is actually I don't I don't think that's ludo narrative dissonance because it does create this dilemma for a player to deal with this player agency yep. there. But 
it's at least prima facie a tension between the ludic and the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that is what will set up the possibility of this conflict. Um, right. So I think that then this is what new Ludo narrative dissonance is going to amount to in these games because they have so much player mm-hmm. agency. If you have a good DM, it's not going to be like this yeah. full blown inescapable, like, Oh, the mechanical dimension says do this, but the narrative dimension demands I do the other thing. Uh huh. Rather, it's going to be this tension between narrative as this process of discovery of what the character is and my role-playing the character, which is kind of mm-hmm. undifferentiated, vague, ongoing, evolving, and the static requirements of the game's mechanical structure, which says, are like rule-based. They're like, if X, then Y. So one of them is very rule-governed, which is the nece- like a necessity of mechanics, obviously, of, of play yeah. to a certain degree. And the other is kind of, I think, when it's at its utmost excellence, the narrative dimension is not rule-governed at all, really. I think it just is natural and and grows organically. So I think there's always going to be that tension between the two in in, in tabletop Mm -hmm. RPGs. Exactly. And I think you make a really good point with the example that you shared that I, I think we talked about on the podcast before, that when Vincenzo has the opportunity to to achieve some or like to get some benefit at a certain cost and that that is not that puts like these these different elements in tension but it puts them in tension with a purpose to tell a story as opposed to putting them in tension because of like either lazy writing or wanting to tell a very specific story and then not leaving room for the players to contribute to that story yeah i think ludo narrative dissonance is almost a vague term because what is dissonance is it like serious conflict yeah is it just tension because mm-hmm. if there's a tension between yeah. the ludic and the narrative that could be bad but it could also be really really good and fruitful yeah um if it's like mm-hmm. a conflict that's inescapable that's you know probably doesn't happen that often well that not that conflict is inescapable because an inescapable conflict can be an interesting dilemma right. but that an inescapable response to right, 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 a conflict right, right, right. or an escape. Yeah. I think that the issue is that when the ludic and the narrative elements come into conflict and they're not, when they come into conflict with each other and they seem to be in opposition, that becomes a problem. So in the last of us, for example, if you want to be a good person and not go like murder all these people, you don't have that option. The ludic and the narrative elements have come into conflict because you ludically have to proceed thusly, even though narratively you have decided that your character is is such that he would not do this. Well, I think in The Last of Us, it's like, yeah, it's not it's a problem. Another game that I have not played, but have strong opinions. It's a problem if you want to identify with the character as I if I see the character as me Mm. or as some avatar of me in this world then there's going to be this problem. But if I just see him as someone that, like, yeah, strictly speaking, I'm controlling what he does, but the narrative is, like, someone doing something, it's less of a problem. You know what I mean? Because, like, yeah, of course he would do this. He's a bad yeah. person. I'm controlling yeah. him, so I don't mm-hmm. feel bad about it. Yeah. Which maybe, you, the, if they want and the player to y- feel bad, then there is going to be this dissonance. But if they don't, and they just yeah. want to tell the story about a bad person or whatever, that's, I don't think, a problem. Mm-hmm. The, the counter example or the, the other example that you shared about Vincenzo 
achieving some sort of benefit by doing something evil is those the ludic and the narrative elements are not in conflict with one another in the same way because narratively narratively you could choose either to kill the children or or not to kill the children and what is intention there are like two different narrative elements so like by killing the children, you can talk to your demon and you can get whatever plot coupon it is that will help you advance the right. story. Or you can be a good person, or not necessarily be a good person, but commit a good act and not kill the children, refrain from killing the children, and not advance. So those are those are the values and intention, and they have both narrative and ludic elements on either right. side of the equation that are intention. But it's not that the ludic and the narrative elements are opposing one another. Right. So I think that the question of ludonarrative dissonance then for these games is like there's yeah. going to be some kind of tensions, maybe even the wrong word, but you're right. There's a productivity there between what I can do on one hand and on the other hand. The tension yeah. will be, I think, back to this idea of the static character versus the unfolding character. You know, if the game is structured mm-hmm. in such a way that it encourages you to make a static character, then that will be in tension with the fact that it might also be encouraging you to yep. make this narrative processual character, mm-hmm. which it seems like yeah. there is in most tabletop games a drive to do both. And and the thing about tabletop games is because you are less restricted by ludic elements mm-hmm. in that, like, you can tell your DM oh, I want to do, you can tell them you want to do anything and they have to respond to you in some in some way. And good DMs will not tell you, oh, you just can't or you can't even try. So there are more opportunities to like try and experiment and do like all these crazy things that in video games you can't necessarily do. So I think that's part of where this like idea that you could have a more nuanced character that's a lot more complex, like this is the place to do it. Like you can't, you have that opportunity. Right. Right. Yeah. You can't really do like in Skyrim or whatever. You can't, there are a lot of things you can do, but it's way, way more like branching. If you catch Mm -hmm. my meaning, it's like you have options, A, B, C, D, whatever. Whereas with um, a tabletop game, it's like an indefinite number of options. Really? Exactly. And that you know and you and i are huge fans of the older editions i play way more 3.5 and pathfinder than i do a fifth edition i basically only play (laughs) (laughs) 3.5 and it's not to say that you can't have these same kind of complex dynamics in these older editions but what when the the designers come to the table and they're saying well hey what are we prioritizing in this game and what is like what's going on the first page or the fourth page of the Dungeon Master's Guide. What's going on the fourth page of the player's handbook? What's going on the character sheet? And when they decide, hey, instead of filling up half the character sheet with this list of skills, most of which you're never going to use, <coughs> 3.5, they say, oh, we're going to put ideals, flaws, bonds, because that's what that's what the designers are saying. Oh, if we if we kind of point the players in this direction they will start to like develop and like their characters will unfold in ways that if we just had sort of like the mechanical elements, we wouldn't necessarily be encouraging them to do. I think 3.5 is much more comfortable with reified static mechanic, um, um, narrative characters 
and is more interested in these complicated mechanical unfoldings. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you get all yeah. these weird, weird interactions. The more you play with your guy or girl or whatever and change their stats, yeah, change their abilities and do whatever, there's so many mechanical options that you get this, well, you get this mechanical, you know, process rather than something that's mechanically static. Mm-hmm. But it's much yeah. more superficial, at least with what the books are telling you to do. Like, as a player, you don't have to do it this way. But what yep. the books are telling you to do is very static yeah. and boring, kind of. Exactly. When you read through the book and you see, oh, well, most of the book is taken up by telling me how to do combat or telling me how the feats work or telling me how the skills work. Then you start to think, oh, well, that's what the game is about. Whereas if the majority of the the book is about, like, how to tell your story and, like, what are the ideals and flaws that you have, then you read the book and you say, oh, well, I guess this is, like, a game about, like, storytelling. Right. I mean, maybe the ideal would be to combine both both approaches. Well, that's why that's why I prefer some of the older editions, because... Like, I've learned a lot from 5th edition, and I've learned a lot because, like, I've played for so long that, for me, it feels a lot more natural to, like, go back to the older editions and take that same kind of storytelling approach, but with the addition of more interesting mechanics. I shouldn't say more interesting, but, like, more complex uh, that you can kind of bend to your will. And that the advantage to having access to those mechanics is that you can use them in creative ways to tell a different story... And you can also use them as inspiration and as limits to help you sort of like decide what kind of story you want to tell. I think what you're trying to say is it's like we've got all these complicated mechanics in, in you know, 3, 3.5, or whatever. We've got this yeah. complicated storytelling in 5. So let's let's split the difference and come out in the middle and let's just play 4th mm-hmm. edition going forward. Yeah, well, except no, because... Fourth edition is possibly the most misunderstood edition of the game. And I think, whatever, we'll do a whole episode on it. We're not playing fourth edition. Fuck fourth edition. I've never played Play Pathfinder. We should, I think that we should do like at least an adventure, but like maybe like a short campaign. We should do a one shot fourth edition so I can get a taste of that. Yeah, because I've never actually played it either. So it could be fun to like just do a couple of sessions and get some more like experience material not just be talking out of our ass yeah yes the point of the story is that ideally in your game the mechanics will not stand in the way of the narrative and that the narrative will not stand in the way of the mechanics and with alignment that means that what matt could you repeat the question question i'm sorry <laughs> with we're trying to we're trying to play the game in a way that the mechanics don't stand in the way of narrative and then the narrative doesn't stand in the way of mechanics so what does that mean for alignment okay so for alignment i mean we've kind of been circling around different things but i think for me what yeah. it means really is that you need to have a talk among your players whether it's the dm and you know the group or whatever that might look like for how you've organized your, mm-hmm. your play session to talk about what you want out of the narrative of the campaign and how you want that to be reflected in the concepts of good and evil, good and bad, lawful and chaotic, Mm -hmm. how seriously you want to take those, if you want them to be more like guidelines or rules. I think that it's not going to be a tension if you understand what you're getting into and decide on it with your players or Mm. with your DM. It will be if you stumble into it. 
So I think that mm. deliberation and choice is always better. This is one of the things you want to think about. How seriously do you want to take alignment? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting set up for a, a campaign right now, a new campaign. And one of the questions I asked was like, hey, do you want there to be shades of gray? Like yep. morality with the shades of gray? Because it can be really fun to just play the kind of classic Tolkien. And even Tolkien has shades of gray. But that like there are good guys and there are bad guys and the good guys kill the bad guys and you don't have to feel remorseful about killing orcs right. in the world of right. Tolkien. Now in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, because of the way the game has developed and because orcs in this game have free will and they can choose different alignments. Yeah. Now you do. Then we <laughs> and like suddenly you have to worry about because they're actual they're actual right. people. But like you this is the thing. Every episode we say this, have a session zero and and start to think through this with your players about, hey, do you guys want to have like moral quandaries, shades of gray and morality? Um, and also to say to them, hey, alignment is a part of your character, but think first of like, what does your character want? What are they willing to do to achieve that? What are the flaws that might be standing in their way or that like make them not perfect people? And that will help then retroactively after sort of deciding that you can say, well, that this makes me think that I fit more into a lawful good alignment because my ideals are following the rules and like, I don't know, saving if what you're trying to accomplish as a character is some is is such that the best way for you to do it or the best or how you think your character would do it would be this, this and this. And then that's lawful good. That is why you should yeah. be lawful good. It shouldn't be like, I want to, well, not mm-hmm. automatically. Mm-hmm. I don't think it should automatically be the case yeah. that I want to make a lawful good character. It could be. Yeah. But I think the most fruitful way to do it is to think of your aim first and then think about the means of achieving that aim and then think which of these yeah. subdivisions you might fit into uh, without exactly. being dogmatic about it. Yeah. And knowing that your alignment can shift during the yeah. campaign, and that's totally fine. Now, sometimes your dungeon master will look at you like slaughtering orphans and say, hey, Vincenzo, I don't think you're chaotic good anymore. <laughs> and they will change it for you. But you like I think I'm chaotic good. dude. Um, but players also like we can take a proactive role in saying, hey, I'm noticing that like I have lawful good on my character sheet. But as my character has sort of unfolded in the narrative, I'm realizing that whatever sort of dogmatic like rule following deontic ideology i began with or i thought my character would have when confronted with the reality of what's going on in the game i have realized i have i have broken rules or i have prioritized freedom or i have done other things that align me more with chaos so i'm going to switch my alignment um that that's like totally reasonable as you sort of like go on discovering like what your character is or as your characters evolve and change Yeah, I mean, if you you might start out making a static character and then as you play find that actually that was kind of uh, an illusion and the real character was this unfolding process and that would be that would be an mm-hmm. exciting discovery, I think. Um, okay. Yeah. I need to wrap up. So, yeah, um, me too. Can, can we just call it then? That was a good conclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you have to say that this is Joe, Matt, and I'll say this is Joe and then you say now you know. Okay. <clears throat> This was Matt. And this was Joe. 
And now, you know. Woo! We're still working on the sign-off. Bear with us, everybody. I think, yeah, we need something, like, really lit. It's gotta be, like, uh... That would be some kind of...